This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Afternoon, everybody. Today, we are recording the morning, April 17th on a Monday. Markets are, you know, slightly choppy. Um, we're, you know, kind of midday, looking at the S&Ps down slightly. They're really trying to assess the latest batch of corporate earnings. And we see the 10 years up slightly as well to start the week, uh, a little over 3.58%. So, Tim, let's kind of get into it. I know um, there's been some manufacturing numbers you'd like to talk about and kind of the market in general. Yeah. Good morning, Drew. I guess it's not really it's almost noon. Uh, but yeah, the, I, the most interesting statistic that came out this morning was the New York Regional ISM. Now, anybody who's been paying attention knows that the manufacturing side of the economy has been the clear weak spot. The ISMs and the PMIs and most of the regional numbers are really in contraction. These these diffusion indexes where 50 is sideways have all been have gotten to be below 50 on the manufacturing side, uh, and especially on new orders and even unemployment, even the employment statistics uh, within those ISMs and PMIs have been negative. But you got a strong number from the New York, uh, the Empire uh, Regional this morning, where it was where even in even strong new orders. Now, people will dismiss this number. Certainly the bears will dismiss this number. They'll look at it and say, look, Philly Fed is always all over the map. The New York Fed, the empire is always all over the map, but you still have to kind of, you don't get to pick and choose and cherry pick your data if you're trying to be intellectually honest. So that's going to be, that's going to be an interesting factor. It may be the reason why uh, the 10 years a little higher today, uh, that it just suggests that there is more business activity than you would have guessed. There maybe would be a change of trend, and it's hard to imagine why there would necessarily be a change of trend. Maybe, you know, I'm just kind of throwing this out there. Not, I don't have a one-to-one -one line on this, but, you know, the IRA and the CHIPS Act, you're seeing huge investment, huge private investment backed by the huge public stimulus um, where you are going to have real support for manufacturing. You know, that legislation may have passed and been funded last year, but that's going to play out over a couple of years where we're building all of this fab, all of these fabs, we're building, building all this other uh, manufacturing capability that we're kind of, in a sense, bringing back from China. Of course, I would argue that, and Larry Fink was on CNBC earlier saying the same thing, which is this is what deglobalization and fraction, fraction, uh, fracturing of global trade looks like. It may be a good thing, but it's probably long-term inflationary. But maybe that is one of the reasons why you have that stronger uh, ISM. You know, on the other hand, you still have this really weak uh, NFIB small business sentiment is is really truly terrible, and we're going to find out how much of a credit crunch. Uh, we're going to see, look, in one sense, uh, spreads are higher, but they're not crazy higher, like we're falling into a into a recession. And, and as long-term rates have come down, so are mortgages. Mortgages are down a little bit. So while overall um, spreads are higher, uh, you're not looking at, you know, we don't have any real proof yet that the credit crunch is going to be some kind of debilitating credit crunch that is going to push us into uh, a recession. You know, there's the old saying, 
never never short a quiet market and this market is very quiet like the s p intraday is like watching paint dry you've gotten all the way down to a 17 vix that it that tends to be a level where the traders would say your risk is really good to go the other way to go on the short side that you get this quiet complacency uh around a 17 vix uh that's where you'll see guys shooting at, at the short side and their catalyst they hope is earnings uh, but you know very quietly earnings expectations for the s p for the first quarter is down seven percent so there's a reason why every quarter the stat comes out and it says 70 percent of companies beat earnings expectations that's because they've been managing those expectations down with the street uh, into the quarter. Uh, so we'll see. It really is going to come down to the outlooks. It's going to come down to what the regional feds say. And then, you know, it's going to come down to um, when we get the next senior loan officer survey, which will be May 8th, uh, that we get a really uh, a better picture on the trends and how much of a credit crunch we're really going to be dealing with. I think that's kind of the most important macro thing to try to understand right now. Yeah, well, it's also interesting when you're looking at fear and greed indexes, it seems that we're still kind of on the greed side. You know, yeah. we're not yet neutral, but we're not in extreme greed. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at S&P and 125-day moving averages, stock price strength, the breadth of the market. Um, I mean, puts and call options are right now within extreme greed. So, yeah, it's interesting. And then, like you said, market volatility is straight up neutral. It's... Um, not much movement there. You know, I feel like we're in kind of this bearish consensus on the economy that we see a recession coming uh, and that and it feels like everybody sees a recession coming. But as you said, when you look at positioning, positioning is for the good old days. Positioning is for the Fed is going to defeat inflation here. Inflation is going to go back to a very easy quiescent two, two and a half, three percent. And we're all back to the races. The Fed can print money again. We have a very, very different view. BlackRock's got a different view. A lot of people have a different view that, you know, no, we, we have real structural inflation. Like the old days, and I wrote it in my essay last week, the old days of cheap labor, cheap energy, and, and cheap cost of capital are, are in a sense behind us. And that makes it a very different world where the Fed can't keep printing money and fiscal authorities can't keep running big, deep deficits. But we'll see. We're not going to be proven right this week, this month, or even this year. The, the, you know, We're going to understand how these structural forces play out over a long period of time. But I heard Steve Eisman say it the other day, you know, the legend from the big short, you know, big paradigm shifts like this take a long time to play out, a long time to investors to accept. And when you look at the kind of ebullience that you're talking about, it's clear to me that the overall market as a whole has not accepted that we're in a new world of greater inflation volatility. Yeah, well, in terms of inflation volatility, we've seen just massive margins between wholesale and resale, right? Um, you know, in March, the annualized mm -hmm. price increases dropped to 2.7%. The upward revision was 4.9% when we're looking at the producer price index. Uh, obviously, yeah. CPIs and stuff had fallen, but not nearly, not nearly to the same level. So, I mean, any thoughts on why there's such a big discrepancy between wholesale and retail? Yeah, well, it's it's two different worlds. I mean, when you talk about inflation, 
when when everybody gets excited about Paul uh, Powell talking about disinflationary factors, he's talking about the good side of the economy. He's talking about the side of the economy f- that for the last couple decades we've basically had zero percent inflation. You know, I always use the example of the 40-inch TV that used to cost three thousand dollars that now costs two hundred bucks. There has been very little goods inflation. You then have the pandemic, you have the supply chain issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a renormalization on goods inflation. It's the service side, and it's the service side ex-housing uh, that Powell is concerned with. And when I look at, you know, whether it's the ADP data or the or the Atlanta Fed GDP tracker, there is still way too much pressure on wages. And the Kansas City Fed had a study out a couple weeks ago that showed if you're in a goods producing sector, you no longer have the bargaining power that you did maybe six months ago or a year ago. But in service areas, hospitality, leisure, those areas, you still have a lot of pricing power as a worker and you do not yet see service workers uh, wage inflation turning lower. So So it's not surprising to me that PPI is lower, but the services side of the economy is still very strong. Look, if, if you think about what people have gotten, the bears, and I would include myself on this, where I was too bearish on how quickly we were going to go into an economy, it's about accumulated savings. We still have a tremendous amount of cu- accumulated savings in the top 20% of the economy, and really especially in the top 1% of the economy, uh, and, the, and this baby boomer wealth transfer, where we're going to have $2 trillion dollars transfer from baby boomers to the next generation. uh, And that, to me, is going to create higher velocity of money. That is going to create more spending. And that doesn't really, you don't really see that in any anticipatory data. It just is going to be a new factor of life. Yeah, I mean, and from a retail standpoint, you know, we saw from January to February, it was a decline of 0.2%. February to March, retail sales have dropped 1%. So spending has been cut slightly um you know but i don't think that's not necessarily a you know a level where people start selling right yeah retail sales have weakened and we i mean if you look at the i I had an essay a few weeks ago where i tracked the johnson red book same store sales and they've they've they they peaked in sort of i want to say early 22 late 21 and they've been trending very consistently down and it really does look like you had a sharper drop off in march if you listen to this guy named Barry Knapp, and he's got something, the data called NapTrack, and it's it's good in the restaurant space. And you see NapTrack data, traffic is going much lower. You were talking about the big delta between costs and pricing. What you see with the restaurants is as, as traffic goes lower, pricing goes higher. So their comps on a uh, on a nominal basis are still higher, but but transactions are starting to really fall quickly. That is not, if you think of that from a single stock standpoint as an old consumer PM, uh, I would never wanna be long something that is just holding up based on pricing when traffic is going lower. And the same could be said for the broader economy. That is not a good sign of demand. That is a sign of companies trying to protect uh, margins in the short term. And, you know, I mean, how much of it, when we talk about retail spending, big thing to watch for, obviously, our economists are going to see a bank's pullback on lending. Yep. Um, we've seen smaller banks lose deposits to big competitors. 
But those big competitors in terms of earnings have been very, very strong. Uh, we saw bank shares across the board pop last week. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, JP Morgan Chase and Citigroup, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they all had some pretty solid results, it seemed like. Yeah. Well, you knew money was going to the money centers. So mm -hmm. there's you knew JPM was taking in tons of deposits. And if you look at JPM and Wells Fargo and Citi, their cost of funding is still really cheap, you know, but it's those commercial deposits and the regional banks with a lot of commercial deposits where their funding costs are going higher. Um, so I don't think anybody could glean a lot of what we're going to learn from the other, you know, hundreds of public smaller banks from what JP Morgan uh, told you, because they're really in very different, you know, JP Morgan's the winner of the regional bank fallout, not not a loser. And, not, and I don't think it's something where you could uh, draw too much of an inference. You know, Wells Fargo did tell you that there is some tightening for them in credit, uh, that they are taking provisions higher. So the banks are preparing for um, tighter credit conditions and higher loss provisions, but those big banks are probably not going to be indicative of what we're going to hear from the smaller banks. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the IMF improved outlook uh, in regards to the U.S. on Tuesday, this previous Tuesday, you know, they launched the World Economic Outlook Report. They see the U.S. economy expanding 1.6% this year. Um, up from, you know, what was an original forecast of 1% in 2022. Uh, you know, what do we make of that? Um, you know, look, the, the overall, the, I, the IMF lowered their global, uh, their global growth forecast, mm -hmm. but I hear you that they did raise it in Europe. 1.6% is basically where economists right now believe potential GDP is. So, 1.6% is is kind of the max level potential GDP uh, of where you can grow without generating inflation. And obviously the Fed is looking to tamp down inflation. So if the IMF is right and we continue to grow and we grow at 1.6%, uh, you can be assured that the Fed is not going to be cutting interest rates. Remember, the, the, the bond market is pricing for the Fed to be cutting rates aggressively in the back half of that uh, of the year the only way that happens is if i think is if we're meaningfully negative from a real gdp and much slower nominal growth in the back half of the year so i don't know it, it strikes me that the long and variable lags the slowdown that is building puts one point to me i think 1.6 percent is probably uh way too optimistic okay um you know anything we overlooked well, Congress is back in session, uh, and McCarthy, uh, I believe, is McCarthy making a speech at the New York uh, Stock Exchange today or maybe sometime this week? But, you know, he is going to say, it sounds like the plan is going to be, look, here's what we'll, we'll offer to Biden. We'll offer him, uh, we'll pass the debt ceiling for one year, but we want a, a guarantee uh, that, you know, we're going to hold spending to 1% a year. That's not inflation adjusted. So if inflation's running 2 3% in the future and you're only growing at 1%, by definition, you would be shrinking the overall uh, not spending in, in real terms. And he's going to have a bunch of other demands in there as well. Uh, but he's got a lot of work to do. Biden has basically said, I have no interest in talking to you until you guys put a budget out there. And I don't know that McCarthy has enough control of his, you know, sort of very broad 
uh, base there from everything from, you know, sort of moderates in the Republican Party to the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world uh, to actually get a coalition together to pass even a meaningless budget uh, proposal. So we'll see. Uh, you know, it looks like the Treasury general account is dwindling faster uh, than people had expected. Uh, and as a result, they the debt ceiling really could be a problem here. And really just you look at six weeks right at the very beginning of June. Uh, so they better they better make some progress here. And I am not optimistic uh, of the ability of our uh, our politicians to govern at this point. I, I feel like it's politics 24 seven without any real thought towards actual governing. You govern for the point of politics as a point as opposed to politics for the sake of governing. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And, and how to decide on what to cut, right? I, there's going to be people within that caucus who are looking at D, the DOD's, you know, inability to pass an audit. Um, <laughs> right. So they're, they're only missing a trillion dollars. Let's not nitpick. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's not. Um, but you know, there's going to be the more traditional side of the Republican party who will be looking at entitlements, which you can obviously cut, but that's just such a poison pill. Uh, I mean, we're not France, but I mean, no one's going to like having their social security raised either. I mean, it's, it's no. just not. Nobody's running for office saying we need to cut Social Security and Medicare anytime soon. And, you know, the, the, there could be proposals uh, to have, um, you know, lower COLA adjustments or certain things that don't really impact payments for 20 years and 30 years and 40 years. Um, but they're going to have to do something. Um, I, I, I don't see the Democrats really conceding on that. And, you know, this whole idea that there's a, a, a woke military or a woke movement within the DOD suggests to me that they are going to target the Department of Defense because they look at the very basic math. And as you've said before, we're basically an insurance company with the Department of Defense. Mm -hmm. If you take out if you if you take out Social Security, you take out Medicare, and Medicaid and you take out um, defense, there's very, very little to cut. You're just not going to get there on on food stamps and, and cutting the Department of Education. It's just not enough money. So uh, it'll be interesting to me to see if uh, there is more support on the right of actually cutting defense spending, you know, and partly saying, look, these guys don't even know where the money's going. So how, how big of a deal could it be if we cut uh, defense spending by, you know, by 1%? No, yeah. I, I, I think in terms of GDP, we're probably like three and a half um, obviously we ask NATO to pay in at least 2%. So I, I don't know what cuts look like. Um, but yeah, there's, there could be obviously some from the DOD. There's probably going to be some from social security It's just, all of those are just such, there's just so politically difficult to touch any three of those rails. And that's, that's all the federal government is. So, yeah. Yeah. If they can kick the can, they'll kick the can for as long as, as long as they can. Uh, and you, and my guess is this framework of a one-year um, agreement is is probably where you'll end up. But obviously, the Democrats, the incumbents um, in the Senate and the White House, are loath to have this debate all over again in you know June of 2024 in an election year. So we'll we'll see how this plays out. But neither side is going to get what they want. And my guess is you know, it will further 
prove to, to bond investors globally that maybe the governing capability of the United States is somewhat diminished. Maybe the overall issue that we have of excess populism and a low level of intellectual debate uh, means that we're going to have worse legislative outcomes, mm-hmm. stands to reason. No, oh, definitely. I mean, in terms of broader institutional investment, I think that's the only the only way they can look at what what goes on in the states internally. Yeah, but, yeah, and, and and we do have to get these budget deficits down. I mean, it, one of one of the ways you print money is to run massive budget deficits. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are we spend every year far more than we return in taxes. And the left will argue, well, you know, receipts are at a post World War II low. But the right is never going to accept that. And it's a hell of a lot easier for the right to say that we're overspending versus the left to say that we need more revenues. So my guess is you will get spending cuts uh, and those spending cuts matter. Those spending cuts are uh, another thing uh, that is going to suppress economic growth going forward. Sounds good. Well, thanks for your time today, Tim, Um, for all our listeners and subscribers. Thanks for tuning in and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.